Hey, I'm Ryan Holiday. I'm the author of Lies of the Stoics, The Art of Living from Zeno to Marcus Aurelius. You're listening to Books on Pod with Trey Elling. We have a great conversation where we try to see what we can learn from the ancients and apply to our modern lives. Hello, readers. Jocko Willink is a Navy SEAL and number one best-selling author of Extreme Ownership and Way of the Warrior Kid. He's also the author of Discipline Equals Freedom, which is now out in an expanded edition. Jocko, thank you for the time. How are you today? Doing outstanding. Why did you decide to expand on Discipline Equals Freedom? You know, look, the principle of Discipline Equals Freedom doesn't change, but there's definitely some additional angles that I've thought about and different ways to explain things to people. And so I just added those to the book and got it back out there. That includes binary code. Why does the idea of binary code make an appearance in this book with regard to making decisions? Listen, I work as a leadership consultant and certainly as a leadership consultant, when you talk to people, you got to explain to them that when you make a decision, there's going to be a lot of gray area. There's a lot of different angles that you have to consider when you're working with human beings. And I get that. But as a person in your own life, a lot of times we spend time hemming and hawing over, well, you know, I could do this a little bit different, or maybe I should wait for this perfect moment, or maybe I don't need to do this today, or maybe I could do this, but I should do it a little bit less. We just sit there and we debate with ourselves on whether we should do something or we shouldn't do it. And I say, just break it down into binary code. It's yes or no. (laughs) Either yes, you're going to go work out, or no, you're going to sit there on the couch and be lazy and get out of shape. Yes, you're going to eat good foods, or no, you're going to sit around and eat donuts. So it's just breaking decisions down into a simpler way for you to make the best decision in the shortest amount of time. Obviously, training with the Navy SEALs, becoming a Navy SEAL helps you become a no-nonsense guy. Have you always been about just cutting through the bullshit, though, even going back to your childhood? There's no point in my life when I say, oh, yeah, well, this thing happened, this incident happened, and now I'm totally different. I don't think that happened. I think just gradually over time, I would see in myself things that I would do that I wouldn't like, and I'd say, why would I do that? Why did I do that? Why would I make that mistake? Why would I make that mistake again? And I think over time, just towards myself, I got stricter and stricter and more disciplined over time. What makes detaching one of the most powerful things a person can do? On the battlefield is where this originally became such a prominent thing in my life. And what it is, is when there's a firefight going on, or there's some kind of chaos and mayhem going on, if you get your mind wrapped up inside that chaos and mayhem, you can't make good decisions. You can't see anything other than the target that you're looking at. You can't tell what else is going on around you. You don't know what's happening to your left or to your right, and certainly not what's going on behind you. And when I was teaching leadership to the young SEALs, I would see them get all wrapped up inside of problems. And I knew that what I had done to overcome that was learn to take a step back, learn to detach from all that chaos and all that mayhem, but most important, detach from your own emotions so that you can make good, clear decisions. So look, there's all kinds of emotional triggers out there in the world right now for people, and that forces you to make bad decisions. You don't do the right thing. So yes, absolutely. Being able to detach, take a step back, take your emotions out of your decision-making process will allow you to do better in life. When is it okay to embrace your emotions? 
You know, I wrote another book with my brother Leif Babin called The Dichotomy of Leadership. And the basic premise of that book is if you take any characteristic of a human being and you take it to an extreme, it'll turn into a negative. And that includes detaching. I'm not saying that you should be so detached that you have no emotions because emotions are what make us human beings. So I'm not saying you should be so detached that you don't have any emotions at all, but you should be detached enough that you don't let your emotions drive your decision-making process. When is it okay to have emotions? It's always okay. It's just not okay to let your emotions control you. Do you buy this idea, Jocko, of self-sabotage, that some people are just scared to win? You know, I I hear that expression, and no, I'm not a big believer in self-sabotage. Yeah, I think that people get to a point where they just don't want to do the work, and you can call it whatever you want. If you want to win, it's going to take hard work. I don't care what you're trying to win in. It's going to take hard work. It's going to take effort. And if you don't want to put that effort in, a really easy thing to say is, well, you know, I sabotage myself. No, you don't just sabotage (laughs) yourself. You're just being lazy. Go do the work. Hell yeah. Why do you consider all excuses to be lies? Well, Pull back the veil on what you're saying. The reason is that you can't do something. You know, pull back the veil on why you are eating junky foods or pull back the veil on why you're not managing your time correctly. And I guarantee if you pull the thread on that excuse, when you get to the bottom of it, you'll realize it's a lie. And, you know, if you are saying that you want to get up in the morning to go work out, but my kids were up late or whatever excuse you want to make, Pull back the thread, you'll see that what you're doing is actually just lying to yourself. Look, are there some things that you can't overcome? Does the water heater break and you got a flood on the floor and that interrupts your day? Yes, that does happen. I get it. Do kids get sick and you got to take care of them and you got to go to school and pick them up and that messes up your schedule? Cool. I get it. I got four kids myself. I understand it. But I also understand that it's very easy to use those things for excuses. And the bottom line, If my kids are sick, guess what? And I got to go pick them up from school and it messes up my day? Cool. I'll stay up later and I'll get done what I have to get done. That's right. And you just mentioned junky foods. Donuts make more than one appearance in this book. With you telling the reader to shun the temptation, it sounds like donuts are one of those things that you like to indulge in when you choose to go there. What do you love about donuts? No, actually, wrong. Actually, I cannot have a donut. I have talked so much smack about donuts that I don't think I'll ever eat a donut again for the rest of my life because I'm afraid someone would be sitting there with a with a iPhone camera recording me and they'd post it and and everyone would say look who's the liar now Jocko so no a donut will never enter my mouth again but I was in the Navy for 20 years and in the Navy there's donuts I've done multiple deployments on board ships as a SEAL and on on those ships a lot of times there was donuts And in the Navy, they actually call donuts fat pills. Why is that? Because they taste delicious, but they're absolutely horrible for you. And so I guess that's why it became a target in my mind. There's a couple of things that make donuts a pretty tough enemy to fight. Number one, they taste so good. Number two, they're super convenient because you just hold them in your hand and eat them. And number three, people seem to just want to give them to you. They bring giant boxes into the (laughs) office and put them there on the table, and they're free. And so they're just this massive temptation, and that's why I think 
they are directly from the devil. You've got to stay away from donuts. That's my opinion. Okay, when you did eat donuts, though, were you a cake or a yeast guy? I don't even know what those two, what does that mean? Uh, there are cake donuts that are a little bit denser, and it's more like eating a piece of birthday cake, and the yeast donuts, which are a little bit airier. Yeah, I don't even know if I could tell the difference. You know, the one thing I do remember was when I was a kid, we would get these little chocolate-covered donuts from the convenience store. So yeah. whatever those were, those were definitely a vice. Yeah, those were cake donuts. I ate the powdered sugar version of those. Those were uh, really good as kids. But as adults, you pay the price for uh, decisions like that. Now, how do you wish you could respond to people who ask how you're doing and why? Yeah, that's one of those small talk things. Hey, how you doing? And the bottom line on how I'm doing is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how I'm doing. It doesn't matter whether I feel good or feel bad. It doesn't matter. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go do what I'm supposed to do, and I'm going to do it with a smile on my face. So, look, I'm going to give you a nice answer. I'm going to say hey, everything's great. Thank you. In my mind, I'm thinking, doesn't matter. I'm going to go do what I have to do. <laughs> is it wise for someone to do what makes him or her happy every minute of every day? Listen, I get it. I get this kind of long-term strategy of you want to find a job that's going to make you happy. You want to be around people that make you happy. You want to live in a place that you enjoy, right? I get that. But at the same time, those things are really big picture things, right? That's the broad scope of your life. You know, what you do for work, the people you're around, where you live. You want to orient those things towards some things that make you happy. I get it. That being said, I hear people say, you know, do what makes you happy. And then I hear other people listening. The way they interpret that is just do everything that's going to make you happy. And that's the wrong answer. Because as we were just talking about, one of those chocolate covered donuts is going to make me happy, right? And for you, one of those powdered covered donuts is going to make you happy. But how are you going to feel in two hours, in three hours, in three weeks if that's the way you eat, right? A big one right now we have is social media. Social media. Does it make you feel good to look through some cool things and get some inspiration from a picture and get some likes on a post that you made? Sure, but really you look up and three hours have gone by and you haven't done anything. So I think short-term happiness is a big thing to watch out for. Look, and I'm not saying you've got to live like a Shaolin monk, <laughs> but you should spend a majority of your short-term focus on things that are going to make you better, not on things that are going to make you happy. You know, it's interesting. You acknowledge the benefits of long-term strategic planning, having three, five, and 10-year goals, but you also caution people from getting too caught up in those things. Why is that? Well, once again, just going back to the battlefield, you can come up with the best plan, but when you start your operation, things are going to change. Things are going to happen that are going to manipulate your plan. They're going to impact your plan. And you can spend an incredible amount of time trying to come up with a plan. And especially when you start talking about a three-year plan or a five-year plan or a 10-year plan. And once again, this is kind of similar to being happy. I get it. You need to think about the future. But at the same time, thinking about where you're going to be in 10 years and spending a bunch of time planning when you're going to be in 10 years or even five years when you've got a lot of work to do and a lot of things can change. And by the way, all that time you spend planning for something that's going to happen in 10 years doesn't actually get you any closer to being there. So you have to actually get up and move in that direction, not just sit around and plan. So 
look, again, there's a dichotomy. Should you have some goals, some long-term goals? Absolutely. Should the creation of plans for those goals be the focus of all your time? Absolutely not. What's your 10-year goal? My 10-year goal? Yeah. This is exactly what I'm talking about. My life changes so much in each year that for me to put a 10-year goal on the map would be almost worthless because I don't even really know what two years away is going to look like. Even looking at next year, it's hard to tell. So right now, what I do is I focus on looking at the battlefield, assessing where there's opportunities, and trying to move resources in those opportunities so I can do a better job with what I do. Where did you first hear the phrase, the count is zero, and how do you apply it to daily civilian life? So the count is zero is one of these terms that they would say. And actually, there was one when I was going through basic SEAL training, there was one instructor in particular that seemed to like to use this term. And what the term is, is you're doing these exercises. They show it on TV all the time, right? You got a bunch of BUD students or the basic SEAL students that are going through the training. And you got to carry these big telephone poles around. And you don't just have to carry those telephone poles around. You have to do a bunch of exercises with them. You've got to do squats with them on your shoulders. You've got to lift them up over your head. You've got to put them down and pick them up and put them down and pick them up. You've got to put them across your chest. And you're doing all this as a team, all your eight-man boat crew. You get those logs across your chest and you're doing sit-ups. So you've got to do all these drills. And you have to do them synchronized and you have to do them coordinated together, not just with your team, but with all the other teams. So everyone has to do the exercises synchronized. When you don't do it synchronized or when one group is falling behind or one group is going too fast or one group isn't really completing the exercise properly, what the instructor would say is the count is zero. Meaning, look, you just did 23 squats and you were supposed to do 30, but on the 23rd squat, one of the teams didn't go down all the way. And the instructor would say, oh, Boat crew four didn't go down all the way. The count is zero. Mm. The count is zero. So we just start over again. And sometimes it would take many, many, many repetitions to actually get the 30 repetitions that you were supposed to do. So what does that mean in my civilian life? What it means in my civilian life is, look, you accomplish some stuff today. You get some work done. Maybe you do some good stuff. Maybe you get some praise. Maybe you make some progress. When I wake up tomorrow morning, the count is zero. I'm back at zero. I'm not resting on my laurels. I'm going to get up and I'm going to make things happen. The count is zero. You did a lot of scuba training with the SEALs. There are inherent dangers with scuba diving. Anytime you or your fellow SEALs ended up in a dangerous situation underwater, when you came up and an emergency response team asked you how you were doing, the only correct response was, I feel fine. Why was that, and why is it this seemingly innocuous phrase is so important in general? Yeah, there's actually a reason why you have to say, I feel fine. So during the dive training that we go through, which is really, really hard, they push you to the envelope of what you're capable of underwater. They basically try and drown you with scuba tanks on. They rip the tanks off your back. They tie the regulator hose in knots. You have to get it untied. You have to get the tanks back put on. Sometimes they tie those regulator hoses in knots that you can't get the knots out, and then you have to perform a procedure to come to the surface. And once you come to the surface, as you said, there's only one correct response when you get to the surface, and that's I feel fine. And the reason for that is 
it's actually a physiological test to see if you can formulate the F with your mouth because it takes effort to form the letter F to make that noise phonetically. So they make you say, I feel fine. When you come up from these tests, guess what? I can promise you the last thing that you feel is fine. You feel horrible. You're out of breath. You're mentally nervous about what just happened. And yet, when you come up, you say, I feel fine. And that becomes or became for me just my normal response to hardship. You're going through something tough. You're getting beat down. You have a hard day. Something's going wrong. Okay, what's my response? My response is, I feel fine. You used to put your soldiers through chaotic situations to prepare them for the real thing. Explosions, enemies with paintball guns, screaming, fires, helicopters overhead, and a whole lot more. What did you witness about the best course of action in these scenarios? Well, the best course of action is to take action right? The best course of action is to do something to move forward, to make something happen. So yeah, we'd throw all these total mayhem scenarios at people. And sometimes they would get put back on their heels. They would go into kind of a shell shock scenario. And that's never going to turn out good. What you want to do is you want to go on offense, you want to go on the attack. And again, that applies to regular life too. Look, we all have days, we all have weeks, we all have months where things aren't going our way. And the worst thing to do is to sit back and allow those things to continue to happen. What you have to do is you have to dig in, you have to go on offense, and you have to go on the attack. What do you mean when you order your readers to not allow a leadership vacuum in their own heads? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that the concept for me I originally would see when I was running SEAL training, and I would see a SEAL platoon where no one was making a decision. No one was stepping up and leading. Maybe the officer was bogged down in some situation. Maybe the platoon chief was handling something. Whatever was going on, there would be a vacuum of leadership. And then what happens to that platoon when there's a vacuum of leadership? I'll tell you what happens. Nothing. They don't do anything. They just kind of sit there. And then, you know, they get overrun by the enemy. And again, I'm talking about training operations, and we would set these training operations up, as you said, to cause this chaos and mayhem. And the beautiful thing about a training operation is everyone gets shot. They're just getting shot with paintball. It's all good. We reset everyone at the end and we go do it again, but they get to learn those lessons. But seeing what happens when there's a leadership vacuum was a total nightmare to watch in these scenarios because when that leadership vacuum occurs, all of a sudden the platoon doesn't take any action, doesn't go any direction, and they would just get overrun by the bad guys with paintball and everyone would get shot up and it'd be a disaster. But this doesn't only happen with a SEAL platoon or with a business or with a team. It can happen with yourself, too. You know, you get to a point where you kind of let your mind be a vacuum and you let it just wander in any particular direction and you don't really have any direction over it. And you just kind of let whatever is going to occur, you just sort of let it occur. And when that happens, it's the path of least resistance. And I'll tell you right now, the path of least resistance leads down. And so I try and explain to people, don't let that leadership vacuum happen in your head. Take control, you know, take control, step in, step up, take the leadership position inside your own head, take charge of your mind, and then go on the attack, go on offense and go do what you're supposed to do. 
What are comfort ambushes? <laughs> well, comfort ambushes are a response to when people act as if these weaknesses that occur in their life somehow ambush them, like they got surprised by them, as if the snooze button on their alarm clock just triggered itself. It made my finger hit it somehow. I got ambushed by that comfort. Or, you know, I know we're talking about donuts. Look, do you get ambushed by a donut? Does a donut jump off the counter and jump into your mouth? That doesn't happen. That's not what goes on. So all these things that happen to us and we act as if we got ambushed and we couldn't stop it, we couldn't help it, it's just wrong. Don't allow yourself to get ambushed by comfort. Just stay vigilant, stay on the path, and definitely watch out because comfort is waiting and you should let it ambush you. you got to be stronger than the donuts. You also encourage people not to negotiate with weakness. What are some examples of this? You know, similar to the binary mode of thought, we are smart. And Trey, if I said to you, hey, can you win an argument with yourself? The answer is yes. You can absolutely win an argument with yourself. You can negotiate an outcome that you want. Well, so what's the problem with that? The problem with that is when it comes to you saying, oh, you know, I said I was going to get up today and work out, but you know, I'm kind of sore right now. And I just read a magazine a few weeks ago that said sometimes rest is more important than work. And actually sleep is more important than working out. And I have worked out for three days straight. So see, you can win this argument. You can win this argument all day long. And I say, do not negotiate with weakness. Don't even get involved in negotiation. Just tell that weakness to shut up and go do what you're supposed to do. Jocko, why are menial tasks so important? For me, menial tasks are an exercise in discipline, actually. That's what they are. They're an exercise in discipline. And if I have whatever stupid little menial task that I've got to get done, whether it's making my bed, whether it's going to the DMV, whether it's getting online and paying the bills that I've got to pay, running the errands, doing the chores, Waking out the backyard, all those little menial tasks, I get it. They, they might be a pain, but for me, they're an exercise in discipline. And they're a pathway to discipline. They're a pathway to discipline. When you do something that's as menial but as easy as cleaning the kitchen up when you get done with dinner at night, that actually imposes discipline in your life. That actually helps you. As you do that correctly, you will start to do the larger more important things correctly as well. But it starts with a small menial task, so don't blow them off. Just line them up and absolutely knock them out of the park. What is the best course of action in pursuing happiness, and how concerned should we be with time in this pursuit? Look, our lives are are long, at least when you're in the middle of them, when you're young, and it's pretty easy to forget that the clock is ticking. And so you can't let that slip out of your mind. I say in the book that time is ruthless. And so what do you have to do? You have to get ruthless right back. You have to get ruthless with your time. You have to manage your time. You have to take advantage of your time and you cannot waste any time. Don't let it slip by. 
And speaking of getting ruthless, when is the proper time to go scorched earth policy and how does one go about doing so? I hope that there's not a situation, Trey, that you have to go scorched earth policy. But you should have that plan in the back of your mind, right? You should have a plan in the back of your mind that, hey, if everything goes wrong in a certain situation, I am going to have a plan to just go scorched earth. No other way out. No turning back. It's similar to the old idea of burning the boats. We're going to land on this foreign land, and then we're going to burn our boats because we're not coming back. We're going to win or we're going to die. And that's how I feel with the scorched earth policy. And hopefully, you know, look, most of the time you want to leave yourself it out. But at the same time, you can get to a point with your health. Maybe you've been living an unhealthy lifestyle for a long time. And every time you try and sort of say, okay, well, I'll explore. Maybe I'll explore what it seems like to start eating better. Maybe I'll explore what it seems like to start doing more physical activity. And every time you do that, you surrender. You don't push through. Maybe it's time to go scorched earth and actually just completely and utterly commit to changing the way you live your life from a health and fitness aspect. So sometimes in life, you got to go scorched earth policy. And finally, Jocko, what do you say to yourself when things get really hard and why? This is another one of those things where people talk to me about the internal dialogue, right? Internal dialogue, what do you tell yourself? And the truth is with me, and this, again, this applies back to the, I don't negotiate with weakness or I have binary decision. When things are hard, I don't say anything to myself. You know what I do is I don't say anything. I don't think about anything. I shut down my mind and I just go and do what I'm supposed to do. That's what I do. Look, my body is going to go do what it's supposed to do. I'm going to shut my mind off and I'm going to execute. So I know that's a little contrary to what some people say sometimes, but your mind is strong and your mind can be strong in the wrong direction. Your mind can be strong. Like I said, it can negotiate, can win that argument with yourself. Don't let it. Shut it down. Go do what you're supposed to do. Execute. He is Jocko Willink, a Navy SEAL, number one best-selling author of Extreme Ownership and Way of the Warrior Kid, also the author of Discipline Equals Freedom, which is now out in an expanded edition. Jocko, thank you so much for the time today, and thank you for this inspirational book. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. And thanks to all of you for listening today. You can hear all of our episodes at booksonpod.com or by searching Books on Pod with Trey Elling wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, I would greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review. Helps us grow the show. We'll talk to you next time on Books on Pod. Books on Pod.